Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to the Living History UK podcast, a podcast for the discerning and knowledge-hungry historians out there. You can support our podcast and get much more from Living History UK by joining our Patreon from just £1. And by doing so, you'll be a part of an ever-growing community and really help to make a difference as we strive to keep history alive. But for now, enjoy this podcast. Hello and welcome to this rather special episode of the Living History UK podcast. I'm joined by Mr. Peter Neal and Dominic Blythe. And we're going to be covering a a question uh, slash subject that is, is asked so many times on the Living History UK TikTok channel and YouTube, amongst many other other platforms that we are on. And that is, how do you get involved with living history uh, slash reenactment? Because they are two different things, which we will cover over the course of this episode. But it is a question, nonetheless, that is asked many, many a time. So I feel that the best way uh, to kick this episode off is to go uh, and speak to Pete, first of all, and then Dom, and find out how they, uh, in a very condensed form, got involved in the world of living history and reenactment. So it started off for me when I was about 13, I think I was. Um, I saw a, um, an article in, I think it was Military Vehicle magazine, I think it was, um, saying about this show called Military Odyssey. I'd seen documentaries or programmes where they'd had like reenactors and all that, but never knew anything about it, if you know what I mean. So, and I'd always been interested in military history. So I managed to uh, bully my mum and dad into take me down there. And they took me down there and uh, went round one for the first, went round the military choices. That was my first sort of a uh, proper living history event or reenactment event that I went, went round as a punter. And then when I got to about 16, I then decided that I wanted to uh, do living history. And I, I was at Military Odyssey and I said, right, I'm going to find a group. And that's when I found my group, which was the uh, American Infantry Preservation Society, portraying the 9th Infantry Division in the, during the Vietnam War. And for, for myself, it was, um, in terms of getting into the hobby, it was, um, I had an interest 
in in family military history and then um, sort of went, hmm, can I get this kit? What would, you know, and then sort of found out sort of on lot. I've been, as a kid, I'd been to see stuff like the sealed knot and uh, went up to one of the big punch-ups at Warwick Castle. So I knew about living history and reenacting. So um, prior, prior to actually having a, an interest in actually getting involved with it. So, um, yeah, I had this interest, this kit, this interest and found out where I could get the kit. And then I sort of reached out to the 10th Essex and said, you know, this is what I'm interested in, blah, blah, blah. Can I join? Then Paul Weaver said, replied to my email and said, yeah, we've got an event at this place at this time. If you've got kit, come on down. And thus started a very long and meandering tale of me getting into this very convoluted hobby. The first brush with reenactment or living history, depending on how which side of the fence uh, you stand, would have been, uh, as I've mentioned a few times on, on this podcast and, and TikTok and YouTube and so forth, uh, was going to uh, a reenactment of the Battle of Naseby, so English Civil War. My dad took me when I was about seven or eight, and that's the first brush I had with, with it all. And it's very much a case, so I still remember sitting in the back of my dad's car with a little leaflet that was given to me. Uh, in one hand, I had um, a, a parliamentarian flag, and then in the other hand was a leaflet of a regiment whose name escapes me. And I remember pestering my dad all the way home saying, you know, can I join as a drummer boy? And he said, no, you can't, you know, you need a parent or guardian. And I was really upset and I always really wanted to join. And then the kind of um, urge to join sort of uh, fell away. And then when I was, I want to say I was 16, maybe 17, if I'm being uh, kinder to myself, when I was living in Tamworth, I went to a English Civil War event at Tamworth Castle. And uh, there was a few people in kit and they were thrusting leaflets around. And as chance would have it, one of those leaflets fell into my hand. And they said, you know, would you be interested in joining? And I said, well, actually, it's funny you ask because, yeah, I would. It would be fantastic to get involved. And uh, my first ever event was at uh, Lowesley Park um, back in, I think it was 2008, uh, maybe even 2007. And uh, it was uh, that was my first uh, time I actually had the chance to put some kit on and get to an event, which was you know, you always remember your first time, don't you, as they always say. But yeah, it was one of those events. It was a huge, huge event in that sense. It was, there was, you know, 2,000 people, well, upwards of 2,000 people on the field, and it was a fantastic event. And that was the first real uh, brush with living history reenactment I had. But dare I say, that was that was pre-social media days even. Um, definitely didn't have Instagram or TikTok. Or, um, we only just had a fledgling version of Facebook uh, back in uh, 2008. And dare I say now, it's it's, it's much easier to uh, join groups than it was back then. I think it's very much a case of uh, word of mouth, who you knew, rather than you know necessarily what you know. And that's kind of what what thrust me into the world of reenactment and living history at that point in time. Pete, what kind of advice would you give to someone now uh, in here in twenty twenty two and say to them? This is what I would recommend for you to do if you wanted to join uh, any form of historical uh, group. My advice would be, so what I what I did when I uh, took that leap into the great unknown, I started doing a bit, I was doing research, I was research, doing a bit of research. Well, like you said, Steve, the uh, social media isn't what it was back in the Stone Age. <laughs> and um, obviously internet was about, and I was just trying to find groups on the internet and uh, yeah, I was just trying to look look for a group that I I thought might be for me. 
Uh, originally, I was going to do World War Two, but the group that was going to Miniature Odyssey that did World War Two, just normal infantry, I think it was infantry in Normandy, it was, um, they never turned up. And I was like, oh, that's a bit gutting. And I said, I just walked around and I'd come across this um, American Vietnam War display and started chatting to them blokes and that was it. But yeah, I went in with research, but then come out of it with out doing these sort of like background research on a group. So it, it happened. So you could do it either way. Because I said, I went in there with my heart set on joining a group, which I've been researching a bit about. And that wasn't the case. I ended up doing something completely different. And also it was something I didn't know anything about. Well, I knew about the Vietnam War. I knew the Americans were there. And I'd, I'd watch Platoon, Full Metal Jacket and Green Berets. But that was that was pretty much my knowledge base of Vietnam. So I, the reason I did it was because I wanted to learn something different. And by buying the kit, it enhanced, it enhanced that. So I, I don't necessarily say, from my own experience, you need to know everything about that subject you just need to know something but it's also you need to know that you're going to enjoy doing that as well because once you take that leap into the great unknown it is a very costly hobby and if you get halfway down the line of getting all your stuff and then deciding actually this ain't for me that's quite a large outlay and especially if you brought reproduction stuff you're not going to sell that on at the same price that you bought it at, so you'll lose out on that. But yeah, that, that's that's in a, in, a, in a roundabout the houses way. That's that's my advice. So yeah, mine um, sort of sim- very similar advice to that is so I took very much a, hu- a, a very very large leap of faith because I've got the kit already. What I thought was was okay and acceptable. And so when I re- looked around on the internet and found this group, the Ten Essex, I like as you said, your heart set my heart set uh, on, on joining them. Paul said, yeah, come and join us. I took a huge leap of faith and, and went and joined them. Obviously, there are more groups, but it's just the fact of I went in and luckily I got on with, with everyone in the group. Luckily, I what I'd recommend to those who want to get into hobby, and this is what I do with Asagai, is instead of just saying, right, yeah, if you've got the kit, come along and join us straight off the bat. I would recommend for you guys getting, guys getting into the hobby, go to... Reach out on the internet on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, blah, 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 to whatever group you want. You've got your site set on joining. Message them, talk to them, ask them as much as possible, what have you. Engage with them. Also, go and meet them first. Go to an event where they're going to be and talk to them. Because if you don't get on with them, if you don't sort of enjoy their company, then you're going to have a bit of a time, aren't you? At the um, when, it, when it actually comes to... Um, events and what have you if you don't get on with people so yeah go go and meet them first and this could even be if you you haven't even got the kit yet go and meet them first if you like the guys you get on with them you get a good vibe off them and then they will tell you where to get the kit from and yeah that'll be my my advice on the matter i'd say you almost stole my thunder there i was just about to say before you take the plunge not just in buying kit but of course you're joining a group or agreeing to even do an event with them even on a trial basis which we'll talk about a bit, a little bit later on. Definitely go and see the group in a public, public-facing setting. So just go along as a member of the public and just see how they go about their business because there's so many different styles of groups. So you can have um, you could have ten groups who portray even the same regiment for argument's sake, the same period, uh, the same year, even. But they'll all have their own style of presentation, how they go about things. I mean, at one end of the spectrum, you'll have 
um, what uh, many people would call a uh, fab. We've covered that in a previous episode, uh, you know, one end of the spectrum, for instance, as many people would term them. Then by the same token, at the other end of the spectrum, you would have a group who are, you know, to the nth degree, they are hardcore uh, living historians, they eat the food, they um, you know, do everything uh, as the guys as close to would have you know originally done. And also you'll have groups thrown into the mix who try and run their, for argument's sake, uh, Napoleonic group, like a modern day British Army regiment where it's uh, all routine and, and it's along those lines. So there's, every group will have a different way of doing things. Definitely go along and see them firsthand and see which group uh, appeals to yourself. But while I've briefly touched on that subject, we mentioned at the start of the podcast about the two terms that are used uh, in the hobby, which is one is reenactment, uh, what is a reenactor, but then also the difference between uh, that and living history or living historians. So, Pete, what's your thoughts on the subject? Because I always love to hear you talk about this. So, when I'm explaining to people, because when people turn around to me, they go, Oh, yeah, you're a reenactor. Mother, excuse me. <laughs> So the, um, the easiest way I try to explain it to people who aren't from the scene, just a general member of the public, so to speak, is I say, well, a reenactor is, say you got a historical event that's happened. A reenactor will go to the T-junction and turn left because that's exactly what happened. A living historian will get to the T-junction and go, well, I think we might have to go right. What I mean by that is, is that with being a living historian, you're constantly learning. You're putting yourself into their shoes. So you'll turn right because for you, with your mindset of how they did things, it would actually be better to go right instead of going left. That's how I try to explain it to people. (laughs) But um, in the um, grand scheme of things, a reenactor reenacts. That's what they do. So, yeah, so they, they look good enough to run around a field, almost, but that's about as far as it goes. When it comes to a living historian, they've researched extensively their subject matter. They've put themselves in the same shoes as those people. So it's not from a military perspective. This, this could be anything. This could be a Stone Age or a fisherman. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be military history to do living history. They're They're... Their kit that they wear, the clothing, are the best quality available on the market as well. And when it comes to the military side of things, is with the living historians uh, that tears them away from the reenactors, is they actually wear the kit. They don't let the kit wear them. I say this many a time on a few episodes, but that is the biggest giveaway to a reenactor, to a living historian, because they just don't always wear the kit how they should wear it. So yeah, that's 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 my my definition of tearing the two apart. So yeah, Pete. I very much agree with with what you're saying there. So for me, a reenactor is someone who turns up and they do the battles. Sometimes they will have authentic camping and what have you. Sometimes and more than likely they don't. Whereas living his us live well us living historians generally don't get involved with the battles because they just seem a little bit cringe, especially the World War Two ones, which are just uh, which are tragic to say the least for a lot of them. Um, with the exception of private events um, where they aren't the haphazard calamity that you generally see, especially with Second World War re- uh, reenacting battles. Private events, yeah, that's generally the time we'll actually get involved with that sort of stuff. But again, like, you know, 
trying to use our mindset of and knowledge of the doctrine of the time and how troops operated in the time. So yeah, um, so yeah, reenactor, beer and bash lot, as Steve said a while ago. Living a story, and yeah, we'll generally we turn up to an event and we'll live, you know, authentically, like as me and Pete spoke about on the authentic camping stuff. You know, you you will have you'll have the cosmetic stuff where a front facing will all be legit, whereas um, you know sometimes behind it won't be. But on you will get some who will be one hundred percent authentic. Not saying that you get uh, reenactors who don't do that. Well, stereotypes exist for a reason. Put it that way. Yeah, that's sort of my viewpoint on the matter. Yeah. Yeah, beer and bash uh, is very much uh, a phrase which which is used, banded around, and it's probably the easiest way to to explain it, to be honest. And I always go back to it as a default setting for the old argument, what's reenactment against living history and vice versa. It's the easiest way of explaining it, really, is is reenactment is people who go away for a weekend and pitch the caravan up. Uh, they're not necessarily to be, be too worried, I should say, about what they're wearing or what they're carrying, uh, and I'll do the battle, and um, then I'll have you know, a, a skinful on the night uh, and then go into their modern, you know, sort of yeah, caravan, sleeping bag, etc. cetera. And that, that's, that's typically what they'll do. Uh, whereas living historians tend to be uh, people who uh, will authentically camp. They'll try and eat the same foods. They'll do the same drill if it's appropriate, for, well, the correct drill if it's appropriate for their period they're portraying. Um, and they won't do sort of uh, things such as go and, go and eat off uh, burger vans in front of the public or out of plastic containers, uh, if it's not suitable for their period, that is. And it's just trying to always push uh, the sort of, uh, break the mould, uh, push the envelope, as I say, you know, just try, try, try and always go for the best that you can be. But that being said, there's nothing wrong with either. You know, it, it's kind of, um, you know, do you, do you prefer um, normal water or, or sparkling water? There's nothing wrong with either one that you like, really, whether you like reenactment or living history. It's what suits you and what you'll get that enjoyment from. So that's the purpose of exp- of us explaining what our uh, thoughts are on both of those subjects. So regardless of which, you know, um, side of, of the fence you sit, then that's, you know, totally your call. That's, you know, gives you a little bit more of, of a picture, paints more of a vivid picture, what it entails, whether it be reenactment or living history of course now if someone came to you pete and said i want to join a reenactment group or i want to get involved in living history what is what is the advice you'd say to them? what kind of uh, journey would you set them off on and what advice would you give them uh, there in that moment depending on i think not being ages but how old the person is as well because when I started, I was 16 years old and I think I was earning something like 300 pound a month and it is a massive struggle. So it's fine financially you need to be able to do it financially because it is a, it is an expensive hobby. There's no getting away from that whatsoever. It is an expensive hobby, especially if you start branching out as well. But for someone who's just starting, who wants to do it, it's do you have the funds to do it? Transport is another one as well because you're because once you're in a group you're going potentially you're going all over the country and if you don't have transport it does prove very very difficult and i experienced this firsthand as well so i i did it the hard way where i came in on it almost at a shoestring back in the day so it took a long time for me to actually get all my stuff together um but also being 16 i wasn't driving so I had to rely on my parents or I had to get a bus or instances even got trains. Um, but it is doable. You know, even if you don't drive it, it's doable, but it does 
put a massive stop on what you can and can't do because if you don't have transport, then, you know, all these people you're in this group with, they're not local people, not all the time. And logistically getting you to an event could be quite challenging because of where everybody lives. So that's something I I, I sort of say, you know, that that that's that's my advice for you even start is how do how are you going to get to the events and if you're able if you are going to be able to fund it if you're not in a position so like if it's reenacting then that is a bit easier because you don't have to go for the high quality stuff because it's reenact because it's reenacting so depending on what they want to do if they say i want to do living history so well that's the bit that's going up one because when you get into the realms of living history, that's very expensive because you're buying the best of the best you can get as reproductions, that is. Or if you can't get the reproductions, you're going to have to get the original of what that is if you're able to obtain that. So that's what I advise to anybody, just because I, I did it the hard way um, in the very, very beginning. So, um, but yeah, so that's really, in a nutshell, my advice to someone who's only just wanting to start and they've got no background in it whatsoever. Yeah, I agree with you there, Pete. A lot of, you know, what, what you said there, I, I agree with um, and will echo, as I said earlier, in terms of sort of, you say you, you found you found a group and now you want to sort of, you want to join properly. It's in terms of like, you know, getting kit and what have you, just ask the group you're joining. They will be more than happy to supply you with any lists that you require and they would prefer that. There's something, you know, I love a good making drawing up a good kit list. And I think that goes for a lot of people in the hobby. Uh, they like drawing up a good kit list. And they would rather you ask them for the kit to get than um you go and get a load of random crap that's poor quality and then turn up to um to an event looking like a um a crock of the proverbial. Talk to the group as much as possible with us guy if, if we if we as people like you like your attitude making sure that you're doing it for the right reasons then you know we're more than happy sort of more than happy to uh, accept you into the fold after meeting you and conversing with you in person uh, and that's a uh, try and test means that we know works i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra start hiring professionals like a professional Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. As I alluded to earlier, it's certainly a case of, you know, if someone came up to me and said, I want to join a reenactment group or a living history group, I want to get involved, where, where do I start? Well, I think a good good place to start is to always think, of course, what, what period are you interested in? Start narrowing it down. What's, you know, sort of side of the wire would you want to be? So if we said... 
uh, interested in the First World War. Okay, which nation are you most interested in? Well, we'll keep it simple and say British and say, well, okay, would you be looking at a civilian or military role? Uh, military role, which branch of the armed services would you like to go in? Narrow it down from the top down. Um, we, we've kind of seen it a number of times. Uh, we had it in the in the 560th uh, where people would approach the group and say, I'd like to join. And so very, very good. We'll get you along to an event. And uh, they say, yes, I want to uh, I want to be a, a major or a field marshal or something, you know, out there like that. And I've kind of said, well, it doesn't really work like that in this group. We, uh, you know, we, we typically, well, it all revolved around the rifleman, really. Whenever I went out as an officer where we had anyone as, you know, a sergeant or sergeant major, for instance, it would only be there, people out there in the role because it was warranted by the number of riflemen we had. So it's very much if you're going to go into something like, um, you know, Napoleonic or even like, uh, say, American Civil War or similar, it's a case of, you know, start as just a bog standard soldier. And I'd say the same for the First and Second World War for that matter. Start as a bog standard um, infantry soldier, rifleman, whatever it may be. Uh, learn that trade. And then once you've got the basics under your belt, you can start moving on and saying, well, actually, you know, I might be able to um, you know, command a section for instance. And then, you know, you, you kind of you put those building blocks in, in place. Now, I'd definitely say, as I mentioned earlier, go visit a group, get to know them, make sure their style of group suits you and you feel like you can get on with them as friends because we have to remember this is this is a hobby. We do it for fun. And if you're in a group with people who you don't just don't click with and being honest, you know, it's one of the things that makes uh, humanity an amazing thing is that we don't all like the same music. We don't all like the same food. We don't all like the same period of history. Um, you know, you have to have people who are like-minded and you get on with because you're going to be spending not just um, a lot of money, uh, you know, going to to events, not just getting there in these, these sort of uh, cost of living crisis that we're in, but also in terms of the kit. But you have to make sure that you actually get on with them because you'll be spending a lot of time with them at the weekend as well. You have to you have to feel like you, you sort of fit in. And to that end, I would strongly, strongly recommend if you decide to go and do uh, an event with a group, you've narrowed it down, you got to that point where you say, this is exactly what I want to do as an impression. I want to be a private soldier in a line infantry regiment in uh, the Napoleonic uh, Wars. And uh, be very much a case of go and just do an, do an event with them. Don't commit. Don't become a member. Uh, don't you know buy, buy as little kit as possible as you can to get through the event make sure you get on with them make sure you enjoy it you come away from the weekend thinking i'm enthused and i want to go back i'm hungry for more we always had a three event rule in the 60th where we'd have a new member come in and we'd say well you, you can't officially apply to become a member until you've done three events now that suits not just the person that's coming in but it also suits the uh, the group because one uh, bad apple, if we're being completely honest, could come into a group and just upset the balance and the, and the group can, can fold overnight and all that hard work you've put in over many months and years could be ruined overnight. So uh, always having a few, a few events on a trial basis is definitely um, definitely worthwhile. But yeah, research, uh, something uh, both of, both Dom and Pete have mentioned, it's ongoing, it's a continuous thing. It's not something that you just join a group and say, well, they've done all the research, That's the, that's that. When I'll cite the uh, the 60th again. You know, we started the group up from the ground, and we were constantly evolving and not revolving. We were researching. We were out every couple of months, going and viewing original documents, and, and constantly propelling forward. And whenever new members came into the group, it was a case of they would add an extra 
um, you know, a bit of knowledge or a little bit of, uh, you know, just uh, razzmatazz to the group and say, well, actually, uh, we've got a little bit more that we can put in here and this is my two pence worth and it becomes a melting pot of all different, um, you know, thinkers and so forth. So it is a, it is a great way to, um, to to move forward and and proceed. But uh, what, one thing before we do go, I know that... Uh, Pete, you started off uh, kind of with uh, with the apes, um, and then Dom, you started off in World War One. Pete, you do, uh, if I'm not mistaken, World War Two as well as um, uh, Vietnam and World War One, and now English Civil War. And Dom, your most recent uh, sort of acquisition is Asagai. So, going to Pete first. Sounds like we're on our, our sort of uh, phone uh, sort of hotline at the moment. But going to Pete first. When what what was the point where you made the transition from your first? Uh, sort of group to, to your second and how, how did you go about that? So I'd been with the Apes for about 18 months, maybe two years. About halfway through that, I, originally I wanted to do World War II. That was what I wanted to do. And I got speaking to one of the blokes who was in the Apes. We got chatting and he said to me, he goes, oh, I'm, I, I do World War II uh, doing because because some of the Apes did World War II as well, but they did American and I, I weren't interested in that. Yeah, so I was speaking to Darren, Darren Farmer, his name is, and he goes, oh, I'm part of a World War II group. I went, oh, right, okay, doing British. He's like, yeah, yeah, what do you do? He goes, oh, we do Airborne. I was like, okay, all right. Because at that time, I was uh, really good friends with a ex-2nd Battalion Ox and Bucks veteran who landed on D-Day, not at the bridge, but he landed in Vanville. So I was like, actually, because I've learned a bit, quite a bit about the Airborne through him, just chatting to him and what have you. I was like, yeah, actually, I, I think that could be uh, something I'm interested in. So he gave me the contact details to the bloke who run the group, which was Kevin Loden. And um, we had a chat on the phone and, and the rest was history, as I say. And I spent about six, about six years with JOM. Uh, which was just ordinary men. But I also was doing Vietnam as well at the same time. So that kind of came to sort of a natural, natural end. So I'd already been with JOM for about a year. So I did two, I did I did it side by side for about a year. And then I then went to do World War II full time, so to speak, doing uh, the airborne reconnaissance because that was the unit we portrayed. Also, that's the other thing that drew me to it as well. It was a unit I knew nothing about, and I didn't even know they existed. So that was interesting for me to get that information, like to research that information, all the rest of it. Then I did. Then I went back to Vietnam again, Seventh Cavalry. So that was a UK Air Cav. Because at the time, Kev, who run JOM, was standing down. By that point, he got to the point in his life where he's like, "Well, I'm too old to be a paratrooper." So he's uh, so he decided to step down. And at the time, it was like no one was going to take on the mantle, but Ian Pope ended up taking up the mantle. But at the time, it was it was very uncertain to what was going to happen to the group. So I was, I was, we did a lot. So when I was with the Apes, we did quite a bit of work with the UK Air Cav. They used to join us on the uh, field weekend, so where we do our experimental archaeology, uh, so to speak. So I live in history, private living history weekends. The UK Air Cav used to come along. So I got to know some of them, uh, like their key players. Um, and it was at War and Peace one year. Uh, and I went around chatting to them, got chatting to them again. They said, oh, you've still got all your gear. I said, yeah, of course I have. I've never got rid of it. And they said, well, you know, do you fancy doing it? You know, we know you come from good stock. So like the Apes was um, even now very, very good professional group. And I said, look, you come from the Apes, mate. So you got no problem in getting in with us lot. I was like, okay, sound. So I ended up doing that. So I'd so side by side, I did Vietnam and World War II. And then I left JOM. Uh, that came to its natural end. Focused solely on UK Air Cav for another year or so. And then I got into First World War. I'd known Lawrence through the World War II scene because he'd do a lot of work with Battle for Europe. 
that was uh, that was that. So I bumped, I walked up to Lawrence and I said, I'd like, I'd like, I'd like to join you lot. And uh, he's like, Yeah, hey, all right. And so that's how I got into doing First World War. So yeah, so I've, I've done a lot of things side by side, but it keeps me stimulated doing that because if I'm doing the same thing constantly, I do get bored. And that's what happened with the UK aircraft for me, is that it got boring because I was doing the same thing over and over again. I didn't have that sort of weekend of change. Yeah, so. From that, went to AFVM, which was another Vietnam group, which was like a break. It was a breakaway group of the UK Air Cav. Did that for a little while. Then we started up the Ox and Bucks Living History Society. So that that was me and Steve's concept of doing early first world, uh, early Second World War. Sorry, and obviously we branched out and we now do World War One also in the Ox and Bucks Living History Society. Come full circle once again. Then about two years ago, I got back into doing Vietnam, doing Lerps. So it's all sort of then obviously English World War was the latest venture. So yeah, so, it, so going back to doing a little bit of Vietnam from time to time, not doing conventional infantry because I've always done conventional infantry. So this time is doing uh, LERP, so something a little bit different. But yeah, so yeah, it's, I've had a I've had a busy busy seventeen years, <laughs> and not to mention Les Parachutist as well. Because that's what I was trying to think of. Because um, yeah, because I went from AFVN to Les Parachutist doing SAS, doing the first SAS in uh, basically doing not the uh, Normandy operations that they were doing. So I'm still with Les Para, uh, just trying to find time to do bits and pieces with them. I've joined the 10th Essex. Obviously, I knew um, I know you, Peter, through various nefarious means in time. And so um, obviously, I knew you when. When the Ox and Bucks then started doing the First World War, I was uh, drafted in, of course, naturally. And so for me, in that respect, it was sort of a it was, it was a it was a sideward step, and I would then do run parallel between the two groups. And then Asagai came along. So Asagai, our we when did we start Asagai? Last year was our first year of of doing events. It was sort of an idea that was sprung up by some individuals who at the time hadn't, hadn't even met, who wanted to do, you know, the Rhodesian Bush War. I had a, a fleeting interest in the Rhodesian Bush War at the time. And so by 2021, I was I, I knew a fair amount of people in the hobby. And so I saw, I think it was on Facebook, this 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 Facebook page called, called Asagai Rhodesia that just sort of popped out of nowhere. And uh, and it you sort of had a little spiel about oh we're we're a new living history group blah blah blah. I was like, oh well, this looks like a good based on the UK. I was like, oh this looks like a good crap. So yeah, I, I liked it. Then I get a message from a bloke called Adam lad called Adam Kurz, who I know uh, just not from doing events with him, but at the same time as him because he's um, at the time his main thing was Royal Naval Beachhead Commando. And so uh, he was like, oh you want to join the group? I was like, yeah, bugger it, why not? Yeah, so I had this, I had this fleeting interest in the Rhodesian Bush War, and then sort of it just sort of within me it just sparked more wanting to do more research into the themselves. At the time, the kit was getting was quite difficult to come across, and then when What Price Glory started doing the reproductions of it, it made an awful lot easier. The uniform was sorted, then webbing, then the webbing was a big hurdle, and then managed to sort the webbing out all right after that. So again, and it, it was it was that it was that move into something that I just saw um, as like a legit issue sorry there's like a, a like a, not an issue a, a group that i had a fleeting interest in now as yeah, that it's now become my main group to the extent i left the 10th essex because of it because I, I was so busy with it of course i still do the first world war stuff and the italy first second world war uh italian campaign stuff with the ox and bucks but it's very much as guys now i've i went in basically being you know this new guy to 
to, to running this group in terms of our sky. So yeah, I, that's now my main fo- focus within the, within the hobby now uh, that has um, sort of used, using up most of my time and resources at the minute. And so that's sort of how I sidestepped and, you know, going between different periods. And then some of you guys know I, I do a Second World War Soviet stuff. And I got introduced to the 284th Rifle Division because Jack and Jack, who's a member of ASKI, um, uh, runs the two or co-runs the 284th Rifle Division. And so I was like, you know what? I know nothing about the Red Army during the Second World War. Jack's, Jack's a mate of mine. Sod it. You know what? The kit is quite cheap or very cheap compared with some other stuff you can get yourself more or less fully kitted out for soviet stuff for about you know for for about 200 quid if not a little bit under and that's high quality stuff coming from ukraine and russia so i thought you know i'll get the kit and um again i i turned up to my first event and i had an absolute blast it was just so different to what i already knew um and which is what i liked and i just loved and i love the difference of it it's something that that I'm not too, I'm not too comfortable not not com- uncomfortable but with but so I'm out of my I'm out of my comfort zone a little bit in in it's different you've, you've yeah um, and it's obviously it's a very different military culture and which excited me and made, made me uh, you know want to do it more so yeah that's sort of my in terms of sidestepping and joining different groups from that from the tenth district that's sort of my story regarding that. And I forgot one last group as well, Fifth Sixtieth. That's the problem when you're running off a mental list in your head. Is the Fifth Sixtieth doing the Ponyonics Wars? Where we met Stephen, and also you're the one that made me join the group as well. Yes, I did twist your arm to join the Sixtieth, and uh, what a fateful decision that was. I don't think we would be here now having this podcast, let alone Living History UK and all the fantastic memories and adventures so far. And I think that stands testament to a point I was going to touch on at the end of the podcast. And I think we're probably arguably in the best place to mention it. And that is just how much of a great social uh, group reenactment or living history is because I would count about 75 to 80% of my core friendship group uh, within the realms of reenactment and living history. It really is an amazing social group. You will go to places you'll never thought you'd have been before in terms of like historic castles and houses and battlefields and camp over them, on them and so forth. And going on adventures as well, like going over to battlefields and doing uh, you know battles over places like Waterloo. It's absolutely amazing. It's it's such a great social group. But just as a very quick, uh, just to complete the circle in that sense, my uh, foray from English Civil War, I started off, as I mentioned earlier, in English Civil War, joining the Sealed Knot. And I uh, sort of sidestepped and went to the English Civil War Society. And the reason I did that was because I felt the Sealed Knot at the time was very reenactment orientated. And I had come across this new uh, sort of radical element of reenacting, which was called living history. So I, I jumped over to the English Civil War Society and um, started doing a few events with them. And after a couple of years, I realized it wasn't compatible with life. I, I didn't drive at the time. And um, I kind of just sold my kit and took a back seat and didn't do anything for about two years. And then I dabbled uh, with Medieval and I only did two events at Medieval. One was some filming for Celebrity MasterChef, which was uh, an experience at Warwick Castle. Janet Street Porter's Rabbit Stew was uh, honking, let's put it bluntly. Uh, and, and I found, you know what, Medieval isn't for me. And the reason I went into it is because one of my friends kind of pulled me that way. And uh, as I say, you know, this, the social is, is the big side of it. You, you, the friendships that form, they, they endure. 
And I tried it, and Medieval wasn't my bag. So then along comes the fifth, sixtieth, and uh, did that for a number of years. And then along came World War Two, and that again was through friendships and word of mouth. And then we went on and formed the Oxen Books, and we're on to all of a sudden we're into World War One, and then it comes full circle uh, this year, and we go. I'll go back to doing English Civil War. So uh, I've got my, uh, my my sort of uh, you know, finger in many pies, so to speak, which is, which is fantastic. But I think the the best thing to take from uh, what myself, Pete, and Dom have said about this podcast and about our experiences in reenactment, living history, whatever you want to term it or whatever it may be, is, is to keep it fresh. Don't flog, um, you know, a dead horse. Don't just do one period and one impression. Keep it interesting. Keep it challenging as well. Challenge yourself to to learn new things. It's it's a fantastic way of learning about history, uh, as Pete mentioned earlier. Experimental archaeology—that's what it is. You're putting these uh, things that guys did, you know, 100, 200, 300 years ago into practice, into reality, and it is an amazing educational tool. And those who uh, you know follow us on, on Living History UK TikTok and even Instagram will see the reels and videos we put on. And it's it's through Living History and Reenactment that we've. Uh, learn the things that we've learned and it's pushed us on to, to learn new things as does this podcast and it's a great educational platform and, and it's a pleasure to to educate and pr- be an educational resource uh, as we are and also our inbox is always open if you guys want to get in touch with us and you want some advice whether it be uh, not just on on kit or events or, or groups even uh, we can give impartial uh, sort of guidance on on, uh, on groups of course but um, just in terms of general, you know, getting involved in specific periods, we're, our inbox is always open. We're always impartial in that sense. Give us, give us a message uh, on, on Instagram or drop us an email and ask away and we'll, we'll do our best to, to help you out and, and, and try and push you in the right direction in that sense. But I want to say a massive thanks to, to Pete and to Dom as ever for, for joining uh, on, on this podcast. I know we don't always, all, all three of us end up on a podcast. It's usually just two of us, but it's always a pleasure to have the three of us uh, all on here at the same time. And to that end, I hope our listeners are enjoying the sort of reinvigorated podcast. It's had a much needed shot of adrenaline in the arm lately uh, with fresh artwork, description, and uh, the jingle intro and outro, of course, as well. So all I'm going to say is keep history alive. And what a great way to do it by getting involved in living history or reenactment. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to support it, then why not send us a PayPal donation? All donations help us pay to host the podcast and for us to create new content for your enjoyment. Furthermore, if you would like to submit a question or even a subject matter for the podcast, join Patreon and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. The links are in our bio. Until next time, keep history alive.